Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. This is episode 192. Steve Shui in the Moabster joining me from across the pond. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Oh, good. This is one of those uh the boy has potential type bodybuilders. He, he looks a little bit like some of the other guys that are doing real, real well for himself. Let's get into it. He's an up-and-comer. We like to do different hardcore episodes guys we'll do celebrities movie stars guys like the rock guys like arnold bodybuilders uh, former olymp uh, mr olympias we'll do guys who are kicking ass now and we'll do guys like this who are had an incredible comeback medical issues yes. that they had to overcome yeah. and now they have nice. the potential to make some noise over the next couple of years this is brian balzano so this is going to be, again, episode 192. So Brian has a really interesting story. He's currently 33 years old, IFPB pro bodybuilder. He made his name known recently when he won the 2022 Indie Pro in the 212 division. And we think he has a bright future in the next few years. Um, listed stats, five foot four. So he's a really, really short guy, 212 pound contest shape. And uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on him. And that's why we're doing this. Uh, we're not just going to do guys that you guys may know. He only has about 20,000 followers on his uh, Instagram. So you may have never heard of him, but, you know, check him out for sure. So let's talk about his early life a little bit. Born in Ohio, American Midwest, grew up in a very urban Midwest city, Cleveland, Ohio. And he said it was very common for people to go to the gym where he lived and where he grew up. That's a, a, a big thing up there in Cleveland. Uh, when he first started lifting weights, Mobster, he was only 110 pounds. So he was really <laughs> short, really skinny, like me. I was 5'6". I would say I was uh, about 118 pounds when I first started lifting weights. So really, really skinny. Um, I had those tiny arms. He had the tiny bird chest. I remember um, people used to make fun of me at the pool stuff like that. So that was kind of my motivation. It was the same thing with him too. Motivated to gain mass. And as soon as he started hitting the weights, the results started to come. It became a lifestyle for him. Isn't that amazing when you do something and you see the results and you see the progress that makes you maybe even hungrier to do it. Like he, if he had gone in there and not had any results and been wasting his time, he would have took up tennis or something else. Right. So in this case, yeah. he really had a gift for it. And after he graduated college, he settled uh, in Columbus, Ohio, which is downstate in, in central Ohio. One of the first things he did after moving is what I always do, mobster, and that's look for a gym. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be uh, 45 minutes or an hour away from a, a, a meathead gym. I want to make sure Thank wherever you. I move, I better be close to a gym. When I moved up here, I've, I've literally researched before. I mean, I looked at different properties, but this specific property is like, where's the post office? 
where's the supermarket, where's the gym? And one of the reasons I specifically bought in this town, in this area where I live now is because my company that I had my supplement company, we sponsored an athlete and he was one of the guys I contacted. He says, oh, you're about 10 minutes away from the gym that I train at sometimes on a Friday. So yeah, that was for me. And the other one, you got to die, right? So, <laughs> we, most women and a lot of guys won't get this in terms of priorities, right? So I've moved, I've brought that. I've brought the property I live in now, and we go to IKEA. You've got that in the states with the as was the son-in-law and collected stuff from IKEA, and then go to the supermarket. And, oh, sorry, you get some electrical stuff, the fridge, freezer, cooker, etc and then go to the supermarket and stopped at the gym for membership and then came back to the house, then come back to the property. So priorities, that was within, that's like in the first 48 hours. And I think I was, I think I trained the third day that I was here when the son-in-law was still ripping stuff out for me and I went for a workout. So yeah, I get it completely, 100%. It's like, you know, second, third or fourth thing that you do, you know, get put the kettle on, make sure there's tea and sugar or coffee for the Americans and then find out where the nearest proper gym is. So yeah, I get that 100%. Brian gets my vote. So he ended up finding a really good gym and he networked with people and they pushed him to compete. They're like, dude, you're, you should go and compete. So he did. 2014, the Michael Francois, Francois Classic. Francois. Francois, yeah. And, and a few weeks later, he won the NPC Nationals and that's where he got his pro card. So this is 2014. Well, I mean, he, he's in his 20s. We should have saw him win multiple competitions and, and, and be a force. And that's what it looked like. And then disaster oh, yeah. hit. Yeah. So Mobster, get into his disasters that, that kept happening. There's, there's two. The, the second one's kind of nasty. But it's the first one. Is Navram essentially it's a shoulder issue? And I say this as a recovering Navram, a frozen shoulder myself. Guys, if you've ever had any kind of serious joint issues, and again, it's Steve touched on this, I think, with in podcasts and on, on forum threads when we talk about wear and tear on your shoulder joints, whether that's pressing behind your neck or overdoing the bench press, especially with the peck and flies, and God knows what else do we do for chest. And then as an older athlete myself, you turn around and say, Listen, you're going to get wear and tear, you're going to get it on the shoulder joint. And you can't do stuff. You can't bench. You can't press. There's a. You can't do dips. You're kind of screwed. And so he had to have. Brian had to have surgery. Uh, so right there, you're talking about a ten month break, Steve. You're literally just getting going. You just starting to make a name for yourself. You're just getting your pro card, and you're ten months out of the gym. Then he tears. He literally comes back, tears his right bicep. So that's more surgery. But the one that, that that stands out in my mind, Steve, 2016s, back in business, he's back in the gym, 215s, near his all-time best body weight, looking absolutely amazing. I'm gonna struggle to pronounce this. The pylon ideal or pylonodal cyst. Listen, guys, I my show notes, I've got ask crack cyst. That's just as crude graphic, but it's kind of apt. And to say that this caused him problems would be the, an, an absolute understatement for the obvious reasons. And especially when you've got a well-developed set of glutes like modern bodybuilders, professional contest uh, competing bodybuilders have, especially with the striated glutes and everything else going on. And again, with the amount of muscle that he's got on his frame for his height, he is thick as a brick, by the way. Having a cyst there 
is just plain nasty. Uh, the risk of infection is absolutely crazy. I'm going to read from the article, guys, just to get into it. So it's a growth on the tailbone, but it's right there in, in amongst the glute muscles. It's very easy to get infected, and it will require, as it did with Brian, surgery. Simple procedure turned into a nightmare that would not heal, which, again, you're getting your career underway, and you've had one issue. You're getting your career underway, you've had a second issue. Now you're getting to the point where you, 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 the surgery has become a nightmare. Being so muscular around the glutes that um, he ended up consulting a plastic surgeon who messed up cleft lift surgery and had a deep wound that required to be cut out and reconstructed. In all, get this guys, six procedures and surgeries and was unable to return to the gym back at 100% to 2019. There are videos you can go on Brian's channel on YouTube. We'll link to, we'll link to his uh, social media in the articles as always. Guys, I can't imagine. Uh, it's, it's right up there with having a fucking cyst on the side of your testicles or, or even in your armpit. So you, so you can't curl, you can't bench, you can't press, you can't row. Can you imagine? And then you've got the, it's, it's getting sweaty. It's around your ass. The risk of infection is going to be crazy high already. I don't care how clean you're going to get it. And just in there in the sweat and the bacteria and everything else. So... At some point, Steve, he's gone down to 150 pounds. Now, that's great when he started. He's still 40 pounds up. But when you've been 215 after all the earlier issues and recovering, and you're now down, you've dropped 65 pounds. You can't afford to drop 65 pounds. So the, the comeback from there, Steve, the muscle memory, uh, thank goodness, uh, guys, some, especially the new guys that are new to training, new whatever else, you take some time out, stuff in life. You get divorced, you get married, kids, work, whatever. I've had the 16 weeks, which I mentioned in previous podcasts, for a back injury and dropping 10 pounds, which, you know, wasn't that much. But some of that would have been, you know, loss of tone or whatever else. The ability to get that stuff back is amazing. And thank goodness in Brian's case that it came just like that. So you've gone through this three different horrendous issues, the medical issues, the multiple surgeries, you're down 150 pounds, but to be able to come back from that real, real quick. So as in, in Brian's case, in a year, and put back on 50 of the 65 pounds that he lost. And now I've seen videos, obviously, as we do show research, I see him where Brian is right now. And to say that he's got most of his mass back and obviously he's not won those competitions uh, for a lack of muscle. So thank, thank goodness for muscle memory, guys, the ability to get back. I would say typically stay very, very quickly. You get about, about 70, 80% and the muscle loss back very quickly. And then you have to grind for those last 15, 20%. So it, 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 thank goodness this exists. I want to get into his training, Steve. If you don't mind, I'll jump right in on this. Yep. Guys, so something Brian specifically addressed. I, I'm a fan of strength. Let's not muck around. But Brian is a 212 competing bodybuilder, and he very clearly says on his videos, and the specific one that I watched for, for the show research was a leg workout. And he's doing a commentary, being interviewed, microphone in hand with a buddy, and at the same time, they're going backwards and forwards with uh, shots of him doing leg extensions, leg curls, and so on. And he says, look, I can barely squat 225 pounds for reps, and I've never put four plates on the bar. And what was fascinating for me, and again, I've seen a, a local IFBB pro, I think he's retired now, James Llewellyn, and 
it's the ability to get the most out of an exercise, a, a, a movement, an exercise. And specifically, and this is where Brian comes in. If you guys try this and tell me, especially for bodybuilding, how effective this is. And I know, so I'm just you know, giving you guys an example. He says essentially what he calls flexing through the movement. So it would be light, lightish, well, lightweight, basically. Let's say for argument's sake, with 225 that he mentions on squats, it might be 180 pounds. But you're trying to flex your quads through the full range of the movement. He, he does medium to high repetitions. He's doing that constant flex and or try to constantly flex through the movement. And it's not a lot of weight. Now, if you try to do that on chest for bench press, for example, bicep curls, seated press, lateral raises, but with the concentrating on the movement, the muscle kind of almost, but not quite being fully flexed. And the, you don't need to use light weights. And I think, Steve, I'm sure you could have done with the example of concentration curls, where you are literally flexing the muscle at the top of the movement. Leg extensions is a really easy exercise to do this on. But can you imagine trying to do this on squats, doing it on leg curls, doing it on, say, for example, stiff dead deadlifts? It's, it's very, very difficult, guys. And it's very, very difficult, even if you can do it briefly, to do it for multiple sets and multiple exercises for that particular body part. So if you think it's not as intense as, say, for example, a strength athlete like myself, stacking that bitch on the leg extension and wanting to pin weights under the stack and going, what the fuck is he doing? And then trying what Brian does. Trust me, if you can do it and do it properly, and you can really get the focus in that way, and you can flex or kind of almost flex all the way through the movement, it is incredibly effective. The reality is that for most guys, it is so effective because it's too difficult and it's real difficult to keep up for a length of time. And I'm talking about just literally doing it for more than one exercise, never mind from one, ex one workout to the next workout from one month to the next month. If Brian is able to do this on a consistent basis, and I think he can, that's the reason why he looks the way that he looks. He has the amount of muscle that he's got and he's not doing crazy weights and the reason why he's got a pro card and the reason why he gained back all that loss of muscle and the reason why he just won the Indy Pro. And is also a reason why if he can keep that stuff going, he will do very well in the future, Steve, just on the basis of this training style. Have you ever tried anything like that yourself? Oh yeah, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. So I completely get like his um his strategy to this. You have to remember too, because I'm a shorter guy like him, and you know, it it's different when you're that short, five foot four, my gosh, like compared to a, a guy who's over six foot tall, like you know, like pound for pound, you'll be stronger than that guy who's over six foot tall. But overall, for you to be as strong as him or more strong than him, it's going to be harder because you've got less, less body, you know, less of a body. So it's one of those things I feel like he's, he feels like, oh, I always got to work harder. If you look at the, the pictures of him when he won the Indie Pro he, on stage, you can tell who he is. There were two guys out up there who looked, him and another guy looked close. Like, I couldn't really tell who was who. But then knowing that he's only five foot four, I was like, okay, I know who he is. He was the second guy, you know, from the left because of his height. He was so much shorter than the other two. So will that play a role in not just the way he trains, 
but also with how he eats, also with the way judges treat him on stage, being shorter than everyone else. I've heard from guys who are five foot four, five foot five, of some negative bias against them because they are a few inches shorter than the other guys. So five seven, five eight seems to be the cream of the crop with bodybuilding, even five yes. foot nine. But if you're yeah. five foot four, five foot five, there's definitely that three, four inch difference on stage. And, you know, that, that may be something that he'll, he'll have to overcome. So, but look, he did an amazing job after he came back from his injury. And, and as my officer mentioned, I've had cysts removed. I've had a couple cysts off my head removed and I have a cyst on my back, which at some point I will probably have to be removed, but I can't imagine having a cyst anywhere close to my butt because when you take a dump and you wipe yourself, you know, you're going to get a lot of nasty bacteria. The worst bacteria of all is from waste. Yeah. So this is why, like, cities have laws in place. When your dog takes a shit, you've got to clean it up because that dog shit carries a lot of bacteria. And if you touch it and you have a wound, you can get a severe infection. So basically... You know, that's, that's, it's really what happened was, you know, you, you have the surgery, it's a, a wound, and then you take a dump and you wipe yourself and that poop touches it and that bacteria gets on there and then you have a hell of a problem. So that's what happened with him. I can't imagine the sleepless nights he had to deal with, Ooh, right, dealing yeah. with it. It's just yeah. a disaster. So that's one of the worst things that could happen to a person. Um something as silly as a cyst, just, just the spot it was. So, but he came back. My uh, muscle memory is a real thing, guys and gals. If you have to take a time off, you know, you go through injuries, divorces, whatever, the pandemic gyms closed for months. Some gyms, you know, were closed six months. Then you have to make your comeback. But the good thing is muscle and body memory are, are a real thing. This is why you see professional athletes blow out knees and then they have surgery and they can't even walk for six months. They're on crutches. And then, they're, then they come back and have a great year. So, you know, your body remembers. So it's very important to put in the hours. The hours he put into it before he had all these injuries built up all this body and muscle memory so that when disaster hit, he had that locked in so he could always go back to it. So no matter how long of time off you have, you'll always have that to go back to. So if, you, if you're listening to this and you've taken time off or whatnot, that is something to understand that you will be able to come back versus your buddy who's never touched the weight in his life going to the gym with you because you're going to work out together and three months later, you're going to be benching 300 again and he's going to be struggling to do 150 and he's going to get frustrated and that's why, even though both of you haven't touched the weight in the past two years, you were lifting weights the five years prior. So your body was able to tap into those five years. So that's a huge advantage that he was able to take advantage of. And by the end of 2020, he had put on 50 pounds back and he was ready to kick ass in 2021, which he did. So I'll let you in back in mobster. And then uh, if you want to talk about his, his 2021 successes or I can get into it. I was actually interested in the psychological stuff, something that I talk about. In fact, the, the event I was at the weekend, Steve, uh, Grip Fest, 
I said to the guys there that most, we, we probably got a greater surfeit of information available to us in terms of uh, nutrition and training than we've ever had. And indeed, this podcast is quite part of that and the information we give on the forums is part of that. But the psychological aspect to me is the most fascinating part, and probably because I've got to a certain particular level in my own uh, chosen niche part of the sport. So for me to be, you know, win or get, for example, British or international or world records, you have to have a sort of element for your training, which includes sports psychology. So, for example, in, in Brian's case, and we mentioned this in the article, we talk about overcoming obstacles. So that's one part of it. And the other thing that was interesting to me was uh, he doesn't like to look at himself in the mirror as much as you would or a bodybuilder would. And so it's a fascinating thing for me in terms of, again, keeping himself covered up in the gym. And I'm going back to the training here very quickly, Steve, and feeling what the muscle's doing. And you don't need, some people do, but you shouldn't really, the majority of you shouldn't really need to see, for example, your quads flexing. And the reason, in fact, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 because of the history of the sport, the reason why guys had their quads exposed for leg extension is for a photographer. In fact, if you maybe because it's a real hot summer's day and you've got shorts on, but for most of the year, you're going to be covered up. So most of the time, it's about what your mental process, how you can feel the muscles working over actually needing to see them and that visual connection. So there was that particular aspect. As you say, Steve, the idea uh, coming back from <clears throat> the injury, recovering, and as Steve has already said, jumping in from uh, 2020, getting back almost 100% in the muscle 2019, and then working his way through, as Steve's already said, to the 2022 Indy Pro to 12 clip division. And I've, se I've seen the same photographs that Steve said. I, I didn't realize he was five foot four, Steve, and the amount of muscle that he's got on his frame for a guy that's five foot four. The, in fact, the only reason you could see that he's short at all is because I think his coach is standing next to him in one of the photographs on his own, his physical proportions, and I'm talking about head, hand, and feet size, don't give you an indication of a short athlete. It's a well-proportioned athlete, and that's perfect. And it goes back, goes back to that psychological stuff that I touched upon earlier on, which is he, as successful as a bodybuilder that is, and the success that he wants, vis-a-vis -vis to be one of the greatest 212 uh, bodybuilders of all time, He's not necessarily focused on the egotistical aspect, which for some people is a necessity, but for Brian is not in terms of how do I look in the gym? How do I look when I'm down the shops? Do I need to be going around with my muscles on display and so on and so forth? I think Steve is an element of, and Brian's a very good example of the reverse. When we, and I'm including myself here, when we are younger, we tend to be more insecure and the, so wearing tight t-shirts, letting people see the veins, letting people see our abs through a t-shirt is a thing, not just because it's there, but because we kind of want people to know what's going on. Brian says, why? Brian covered up sweats. In the videos, he's in sweats. In the training stuff, he's in sweats. There's not a lot of photographs of him training without, with, 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 with tight clothing on. And it's because he doesn't feel the need to have that stuff on display. He doesn't feel the need to let you know that he's got that kind of muscle. So it's interesting for me. I think there's another element, Steve, and, and I don't think necessarily that Brian uh, touches on this himself, but there's also an element. And again, you and I talk about social media on his podcast. For In social media, you kind of want everything on display. People need to see what you've got. 
But, and I think Brian's a good example of this, in the old days, you kept everything covered up and you didn't let anybody take any sneaky photographs of you. You didn't let your comp competition, which might be training in your local gym, the one that you you don't want anybody to be getting sneaky photographs and letting your rivals see how you looked. So you get covered up. And I don't know about you, Steve, there's even an element for me, and I actually kind of get into this sometimes with the, with the hoodies. So you covered up completely, you've got your hat on, uh, you're sweating, you've got your hood up, and there's almost an element of going into battle. So being covered up and getting your shit done, doing your cardio, getting your, your meal prep, doing your training, is a kind of almost going to battle, going to war, this is my uniform, you know, this is the, the dumbbells are my guns, they're my weapons, the training is what's getting me marching into battle, and no one gets to see shit until the day that it matters. And I think there might be an element of that, perhaps with Brian. I certainly dressed that way and had photographs of me taking a look at like that in the, in the gym here, wearing a big hoodie, wearing big baggy tracksuit bottoms and still putting five, six, seven hundred pounds on a bar when I'm doing Hatfield squats and whatever else. I don't need to be wearing certain kinds of shorts or having my muscles on display or whatever else. So I like that element of Brian. I like that covered up until it fucking matters. The only place that you need to be doing that maybe is in a posing room, bringing out those little details and on the stage in front of judges that's it maybe 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 in front of a professional magazine photographer or maybe 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 just before you go into competition getting some nice photographs done for your social media otherwise cover it up that suits me i like that mentality i like that aspect of it steve let's talk about his competitions his recent competitions and we'll get into steroids that's going to be fun so listen um he came back, made his comeback, 2021 Indy Pro, fourth place, which he was actually very pleased with. We, we hear guys all the time, they, they get fourth place, like, oh, I'm so pissed off at myself. I want to kick ass. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Fourth place is good for me. I just went through years of bullshit. Hell, Hell yeah. I'm good with fourth place. That just tells you the type of person he is, you know, and, and the, the humility he, had, he has for that. The next year... You know, he came back and he won his division. Same competition in the pro 2022, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast. And you can look up videos of him going leading up to the Indy Pro. You can look at videos of him posing at the Indy Pro 212 division. And he 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 won it and good for him. So uh the future for him, 2022, he's going to uh, be competing at the Mr. Olympia. Yeah. So we'll have to see how he does there. He also reps for a company called Athletic Alliance. And he has an Instagram page, which he posts pictures and updates. And he has videos, as Mobster mentioned, on YouTube of him training. And there was a cool one of him training his shoulders. And when the article comes out, you guys will be able to check that one up. Or you can check it up now. Just look up, look up Brian Balzano training shoulders and you'll see it. And it's, uh, it's quite a popular uh, video. So at the end of the day, look, I mean, he had to overcome obstacles. We've done guys before Mobster who have overcome obstacles. And, you know, it's something that's really cool. I think a lot of people enjoy that. It's a really good, good thing to look because as sometimes, you know, you might have a bad day. I had a bad day a couple of days ago. A lot of shit went wrong that day. Car, you know, car problems in my household. 
um, money issues in my household, shit happening. My internet's going to go down like the whole day later today because they're doing work in my neighborhood. And who the hell knows if it's, I might not have internet for a couple of days. I have no clue. At the end of the day, hearing stories like this makes me realize that shit, who cares? Just imagine having a fucking cut. Oh man. In, in your ass crack that won't heal. That's that's probably the worst thing that can happen surgery. to you. Seek surgery, yep. Steve. I mean, the surgery going wrong, having to have it reconstruct, having more surgeries. The, the medication yep. that they've had him on. Yeah. Health the, is the, number the, one, guys. Health yeah, is yeah. number one. Being able to be free, you know, to live your life and take a shit without having to worry, oh my God, I have to wipe my ass specifically with this type of wipe. And I have to put this cream every time I take a dump. For a person who's a bodybuilder who eats all this food, can you imagine having to deal with that? Just sweating in the gym, Steve. And then, I mean, guys, even, I mean, I mean, we're going to be crude, but let's be honest, right? Even if you are anally retentive when it comes to cleanliness, the simple friction of, and again, I've just been not something we normally mention in the podcast, Steve, but the simple friction of your fucking ass muscles, your glutes rubbing together when you do your training, sitting on, how difficult it would be to sit on a bike to do cardio, how difficult would it have been to do cardio just by going out and getting your steps, literally walking anywhere, how difficult would it be to have sat in the car to drive to the gym without a special fucking cushion? I mean, let's, let's not fuck around. That's that stuff. And then if you're built like he is with the amount of muscle that he's got on his five foot four frame, as he says, well built set of glutes himself, just those two muscles rubbing together. I said, for example, if you don't even want to think about ass, a, man, a man's butt, then just imagine the same cyst in your armpit, right there in the crease of your armpit. Moving your arm for rows, moving your arm for presses, doing any kind of upper body movement with the possible exception of flies or lateral raises where the arms away from the body is going to be constantly rubbing, constantly sweaty, constant friction, constant risk of bacterial infection, and then multiple surgeries. It's absolutely crazy, Steve. And the fact that he's been able to come back from that, recover, get his head right, and as you say, getting that fourth place would have been a blessing after the year, year and a half, it's the bullshit he had to deal with. And, you know, this, this just a surgeon, the first surgeon fucking it up. I mean, what a head, what a, I mean, just a head fuck is unreal. So guys, if you take nothing else away from this uh, podcast, the ability for him to come back, keep his head straight and to be happy with his fourth place as a means of a step on his recovery and getting towards his pro guard and getting towards his win. And, and uh, now this year, appearing on the Olympia stage, it's a hell of a journey on that basis alone. I didn't know a thing about him before we did the pre-show research. You look at the research, you read this, you go, what the fuck? And then you realize that's absolutely crazy to come back from that's fucking, it's just, it's so positive. So that's something you can take away. Right, guys, always with this stuff, we're going to talk about the kind of cycle that we think someone like Brian would have done. We couldn't find a reference to it. There might be something out there. Feel free to link us. But this is the kind of cycle that a 212 competitor would use to get that kind of muscle back, to have the kind of look on stage that we think Brian possesses. So you'll start us off, Steve, with HGH. 
Yeah, and HGH is definitely a necessity if you're at the pro level. HGH does amazing things in the body. It splits and grows cells. It By putting a large amount of HGH in your body, it's going to cause your muscles to want to become a sponge and absorb. So all that food that these bodybuilders put in their body, how the heck do they even absorb all the nutrition, all the nutrients from that food? Well, a normal person won't be able to. In their case, they have the genetics and they're running a ton of HGH with the insulin. And that gives them their body basically an amazing nutrition partitioning effect. So they're able to shuttle in those nutrients into the muscle and build a very strong base of muscle mass on their frame. So 15 IUs of HGH and then half as much of insulin, eight IUs. He might run more than that. He may, may be up to 20 or 25 HGH and, and, and 10, 12 IUs of, of insulin. It just depends. But this is, this is sort of an average. And some of the guys that have been open about their use have talked about using the 25 IUs of HGH. So we know that's what they're doing. So we'll have to see um, a guy like this who wants to really one day be the best. He's talked about, I want to be the best ever. His guy is Jay Cutler. That's who he's trying to turn into, Jay Cutler. And to be Jay Cutler, you're going to have to use these PEDs and, and you're going to have to use them at a very aggressive amount. So, yeah, so ahead, yeah. so, uh, HGH again, guys, is going to help fantastically. And again, bearing in mind what we've mentioned in the podcast already with uh, injury recovery. And specifically, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was some hint of HGH in his recovery from the cyst and gaining that muscle back. Something else which is important to mention is he will be genetically blessed. And as such, I can't see Brian as being one of those guys that's going to be hugely overweight or, or soft or fat in the off-season. So it's HGH when you have that genetics, if your diet and your training on point is going to keep you lean, is going to keep you a certain look. And again, it doesn't have to be run year-round. So if you can afford it, fine if you can't then running it for a competition cycle makes the most sense here. But again, I can see something like that, keeping him lean, keeping him in shape for, uh, the you know, off-season and for photographs, for online stuff like we talked about, but especially in, in a run-up to a competition. As Steve says, modern bodybuilders now tying insulin in with their uh, HGH use, incredibly common. So for us to suggest, for example, eight IUs a day is not too extreme. The rest of this stuff, and I'll, I'll touch on two here, Steve, a thousand milligrams a week of testosterone. As you said earlier, I'm probably going to amphate, possibly sipionate, but again, maybe a, a shorter version for competition. And a thousand milligrams of Chamberlain. These are kind of the building blocks for a contest bodybuilder. Now, I make that specific point clear. Most of the listeners will not compete and they will lack the genetics. They will be guys that want to increase their bench. They want guys that take their arms from 12 to 14, 14 to 16, and so on and so forth. They're not pro bodybuilders. They're not even competing bodybuilders as amateurs. So, guys, this is a building block for a pro cycle. It's a building block for someone who's in the 212 class and about to step on the Olympia stage. So, 
1,000 milligrams a week, again, of testosterone and 1,000 milligrams a week of trembolone, which Steve's mentioned in many podcasts, is kind of like the drug for professionals and certainly the drug if you're serious and only after you, you've gone down other drug avenues. Uh, that makes the most sense to me. Uh, the next two, Steve, I'll let you touch upon, but for me, they are the hardeners, they are the competition ones, Mastron and Equipoise. What do you think? Yeah, Mastron absolutely is a requirement to be used at this level. So I would say with the testosterone, they're going to run it and then they're going to shut it off. So it really depends on their flexibility. I would think they'd be using a propionate, but surprisingly, some of the guys that have been open about it have talked about using more longer esters. I think they just get sick of the injection. So it's easier for them just to inject it once a week or twice a week instead of injecting every other, every day or every other day. But the testosterone, usually what they'll, they'll like to do is they'll stop the testosterone and even the trembolone. They'll, they'll drop the trembolone dose going into the competition. That takes away some of that inflammation, kind of makes the body look good. I actually, most of the time with my clients who are competing, I'll actually have them, they're competing at lower levels um, and I'll have them drop the, 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 the testosterone for sure ahead of time, but also have them drop the trembolone because with trembolone, if you're looking to look good and look lean and look, look your best on trembolone, it's not while you're on the trembolone that you'll look the best. It's when you're off of it for a couple of weeks. That's when the inflammation goes down. That's when the muscles get settled. It's just you get a much better look when yes. that trembolone is out of your system. That's the thing that I've noticed with trembolone with myself. And that's what I, I try to do with my uh, clients. But with Masteron, look, Masteron, there's propanate and there's anenthate. The anenthate, you're going to, uh, it's a longer ester. The propanate's a short ester. The propanate gives you more flexibility. You can get on it and, and harden up within a few days. The anenthate, it may take one or two weeks for you to start hardening up with the with an anenthate. So it really depends on his flexibility. I would think that he would be more inclined to use propanate um, in, you know, um, in that situation. But 1,200 milligrams, not unheard of. You're going to use as much master run as you need to get the desired effect, to get the vascularity effect, to get the hardening effect. Now, those of you listening to the podcast who lo- you know, like what you hear about Mastron, here's the thing with Mastron. If you're not less than 11% or 10% or even 9% body fat, Mastron yeah. might be a waste of time for you because it is hardening. You're not going to harden fat. So <laughs> if you've got fat covering the muscle, then what's, what's the, the point, point of hardening yeah. your muscle? Yeah, yeah. you're just, it's you just have a firm muscle that no one can see. You, yeah. Guys, it's, it's a polisher. It's a hardener. It's one of those ones, if you are lean, then the muscle will give the appearance of being gnarly and hard and whatever else. A core of an inch of fat, half an inch of fat, you ain't going to see shit. So it is definitely one. This is why it's used by models. And we've got people like that on the forums, at specific strippers, and obviously competing bodybuilders. And I say male strippers, female strippers, whatever. If you want the quote-unquote hard body look, then you need to be lean. You need to have done the work. And so therefore, a drug like Masteron is perfect in those situations. But if you're fat, if you are, as Steve says, anything over 10%, 11%, forget it. What's the point? Uh, it's just like, it's like a, we've all got a six-pack, Steve, but mine's even underneath a beer barrel of you know, ice cream. Uh, it's, it's, no beer barrel of ice cream, there's the six-pack. And now I take Masteron. Now 
and make those muscles really pop. Now I let you see all the different shape and the details and all the rest. Of it. And that's kind of obvious. When we talk about these cycles for Brian, for everyone, we're specifically looking at competing athletes, competing bodybuilders, or people like, for example, that you mentioned earlier on, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, looking a certain particular way on film. And it makes sense to us on that basis alone that your appearance is important. And therefore, for short periods of time, running these kind of cycles makes sense again. Something as well, Steve, and you touched on it a little bit earlier on before we talk about the last two drugs. And that is that when it comes, if I was a competing bodybuilder, which I am not, and I was running the numbers here, which will exceed in total five grams a week. Again, not unheard of at this level. Steve mentioned something earlier on about taking drugs out, putting drugs in and whatever else, for example, longer and shorter acting, this longer or shorter acting, that remove it. I mean, I just think sometimes, Steve, when I look at this stuff, I don't, the, the, the amounts I've mentioned as a problem for me before, but there are times per week that I'd have to be sticking a fucking needle in would, would, that would probably be the thing that I would end up struggling with. I don't care. I think I have zero problem understanding being a competitive bodybuilder, any difference to being a competitive strength athlete or whatever. You, you do what you do. That's your aspiration. But for me, I think I would struggle with, as a competing bodybuilder at Brian's level, the sheer number of times per week that I'd have to stick a fucking syringe into my ass, into my shoulders into my triceps into my quads I'm running out of places to do it and whatever else and it's this is why i mean again my preference would always be in that situation for longer acting drugs but again competing bodybuilders as steve said already for example with regards to the trend you need to be able to take certain drugs out and not have a long ester because you want it clear of your body in a relatively short time you need to be able to manipulate what's going on and especially so steve as you will be advising your clients in those last two maybe three weeks when you're looking for those changes to start you're getting lean you're dieting down and you want the muscles to pop you want the hard work to be on display i don't then want something that's long acting that's holding water it's keeping me inflamed like you said with the trend earlier on and hiding what I, the, all the work i've done so I want the shorter acting stuff, but the shorter acting means more pins, you see? So we're back to that again. So, I mean, the equipoise at a thousand milligrams a day, not unheard of, especially as we said already with the 1200 milligrams a week of uh, Masteron would be another one that if you already lean is gonna help you get leaner. It's gonna work in conjunction with your diet, with the cardio and produce that show winning physique, which an athlete Brian possesses with the work that he's done in terms of the gym and nutrition and everything else. And the last one, and again, it's something, we're talking about a competition diet here, guys, and a competition cycle, 100 milligrams a day of Winstrol. That would be excessive for me, uh, but then Winstrol wouldn't be a drug that I'd use as a strength athlete. But again, for me, it's a higher end of an oral that I would want to run. But of course, in the case of Winstrol, you can also buy it, uh, use injectables. But again, that would require daily injections of that when I'm already doing multiple injections per week of all the other drugs. For example, I'm not putting a thousand milligrams at a time in, certainly not in one side of the testosterone. Same again with the trembolone. So uh, the minimum looking at this, Steve, would probably be something like 20 injections a week, if not more. And that would be with some of those injections between the three and 500 milligram at a time. And that on its own, could cause problems with regards, for example, 
post-injection pain and so on and so forth. So guys, this is the thing. People don't always mention this stuff, especially when it comes to competition cycles. There's an idea that's been making arounds for the last few years. More gear, bigger muscles, better success on stage. Right, okay. So let's say for argument's sake that's true, which I don't believe is the case. How about the sheer number of times that you've got to stick a needle in? Now, that psychological, your training is hard. Your diet is hard. Uh, being, getting into shape is difficult. The moods can be affected by your low carbs, by your very restricted diet. Uh, just the competition focus that comes along. And now I've got to stick a fucking needle in 20 something times a week. Unless I was a diabetic and I was okay with insulin injections every day. And even then that's like a real small needle. that's keeping me alive. The psychological thing, I would struggle, Steve, with the idea of pinning myself 20 times a week. What's the most you've done? And how do the people that you coach deal with the frequency of pinning? They then see a number of times they've got a jab of drug in. How do they deal with it? And what would your what would your thought process be if you was in Brian's shoes? Yeah, I hate pinning for sure. Uh, I've that's never it. used over a thousand milligrams a week of testosterone of uh, any any type of steroid in a, in a steroid cycle. So um, we did a, there was a poll done um, by Wake Forest University, and they found that ninety four to ninety five percent of all people who use steroids use less than a thousand milligrams a week. So yes. they don't have to deal with it. So these competitors who are using a lot more steroids, they're in that they're in that four or five percent range and then and the other yep yeah, yep yeah, yeah shorter active versus longer oh. active i think the survey that steve refers to cpn8 was the long that that was their favorite in terms of uh testosterone simply because it requires the least amount of pinning so again i think for me steve I'm, what i'm getting at here is the difference in the mentality of a competing professional or competing amateur bodybuilder for that matter getting up on stage and persuading yourself of the necessity. Now, I know what I've done for the stuff that I've competed in. You know what the clients of yours that compete, what they go through, because you'll have addressed that when you've been just talking to them, when you're advising them. So for me, it's that mental switch. And what I would struggle with as a person who doesn't compete as a bodybuilder would be the idea uh, of the necessity of having to do shorter acting, or sort of slash medium, certainly nothing longer acting, because especially in the latter part of a competition cycle, competition training, you want shorter acting because you want to see the effects on the body and you can drop stuff, take it out, and know that it's going to be clear of the system in a week or two or nearly clear of the system so that you can actually see what's going on. And the sh I, I, just, I would just struggle as a competing high-level bodybuilder like Brian, knowing that I'm going to, oh, my God, you know, I'm running out of sites to jab into. Uh, I've got to do three injections a day. I've got to do two injections tomorrow and so on. So for me, that would probably be, obviously, you should say, I'm not a fan of sticking. I've never done a 1,000 milligrams a week myself. So, and again, it's just real simple. What works, works, and does the job for me. The, the idea, oh, God, I've got to do four today, three tomorrow, two Saturday. I've got to take this one in. I've got to take that one out. Uh, I just, as you, I think you described this once before, Steve, as criminal warfare. <laughs> that's that's kind of like when you're fighting someone else, man. Here you're fighting yourself. And guys talk about, oh, I'm sick and tired of jabbing my jutes. Where else can I jab? We know we talk about rotating sites. 
But you're a professional bodybuilder now. You're, you're, up, you're about to get on the Olympia stage. You're a bride. You're about to get Olympia stage. You're, you're going to take things to the last level that it's possible to take to as a professional bodybuilder. And uh, you're going to be, the chemical warfare has just gone up another step. So what are we looking at here, guys? Multiple injections per day, possibly in the last one to two weeks, right up to maybe one or two days out. And that's without, for example, and I don't necessarily think this plays a, a, a role in Brian's case, but some of the guys will be doing site injections. So that's multiple jabs into one muscle, just to enhance a lagging body part, mentioning no names that we can think of. Again, funny enough, a, a not uh, someone who used to compete as a 212 pro being accused of that. So yeah, to me, Steve, it's just a, I understand. So you've got to be a professional bodybuilder. The pinning frequency needs to be what it is. And that comes from this kind of cycle and doing these kind of things. It is what it is. It's a necessity. You want to win. You're going to do what needs to be done. I've done it. You've done it. But I would struggle mentally with the idea that I'm going to have to do three, four jabs a day, every day, uh, and mixing up esters, taking stuff in and out and whatever else. I can understand exactly why the guys get gurus, because I just want to be able to focus on the real simple things, grind in the gym, food in my mouth. And maybe that's the reason why so many of these guys, including the listeners, will take advice on these things because it's complicated. And when I'm in that stress situation, especially the last few weeks of a competition diet, competition cycle, competition prep, I want stuff real, real fucking simple. I think you and I, and I'll touch on this very quickly. We talk about sometimes it's like being a monk. I think you use that phrase, uh, being a monk, train, eat, rest, train, eat, rest. Uh, for Brian, who's about, he's had all those issues recovered. I want my life real fucking simple so that I can just do the hardcore nasty training, flex my way through my workouts, eat my food from a meal prep company, and then show people what's happened with my hard work. So this is, I, 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 very quickly, guys, and I think Steve will agree with this again. I mentioned it earlier on, and I think I mentioned it in a podcast we just recorded. I tend to look at what's coming up for me. So if it's an endurance event with, with weights or a pure strength event or one where I'm picking up big weights versus, for example, squeezing grippers and so on and so forth. And the drug choice tends to recognize that. So, for example, power over endurance and so on. So I keep and I and I literally do that stuff in advance. I plan my cycles out based on my requirements. Then I make sure I get the stuff ahead of time, make sure it's all there, have it right laid out, have my plan for eight, 10, 12, 16 weeks, typically eight weeks. And I know exactly where I'm going to be with that stuff. I've got my pins, I've got my sharps box, I've got all those things. It's already day one uh, of the, the actual performance enhancing drug cycle. And then they get into the, the actual training. So I've already done some training before then, and then the drugs are introduced. And then obviously you want to peak physically, in my case, on the day. But in terms of muscularity, being lean, being ripped, et cetera, conditioned as Bradwood. And so for, for me, therefore, having someone else plan this stuff out, probably don't want to be chopping and changing too much, especially if I know certain things work. So again, any choices that Brian would make in the cycle would be what's worked. Have I used this drug before? What was the results? They tend not to change too much if you know that drug A works and you looked amazing last time 
and you're three or four pounds up, you should look more amazing this time versus doing something completely different. So something as well, Steve, if you'd like to talk about this, tweaking. Do you tweak the numbers when you're dealing with clients? Do you adjust things a little bit rather than drastically? Yeah, and that's where the power of short esters comes into play because sometimes you have to tweak things. Sometimes, you know, they, um, the body reacts a certain way. And so it's important to use short esters. This is why people who compete, they use short ester steroids for this reason. So they can add stuff, take stuff out and go from there. So look, in Brian's case, he, you know, he's got a lot of catching up to do. And I hope that he doesn't push himself too much because of that time that he feels was a waste in between not being able to train and having all these health issues. So there's his peers were able to train during that five, six years, and he wasn't. And that's something that he may feel like, oh, I have to overcome. He's 33. He still has good years ahead of him. So we'll have to see what happens to him. So check him out, Brian Balzano. What a name for a bodybuilder, Balzano. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'm sure when he was a kid, he got a lot of shit for that name, right? So. I just think we can we could call him the Bull Balzano or or Bullsy Balzano. There's one for you, guys. In terms of Brian, and I, I think I do the show finish here, Steve. The the stuff that he's had to overcome, the the surgeries that to come, the physical issues that he's had to overcome. That's what made him attractive for us for doing this podcast. The amount of muscle that he has on his five foot four frame, guys. Check their photographs out of Brian online. Check out his videos. You wouldn't know that he was five foot four. His head, his hands, his feet, etc. It's all in proportion. But then he's got a huge set of quads. And 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 the other thing which I've touched on, and when we talked about the training, etc., is no, with the not big weights he's using. He's not squatting five, six, seven plates. He's not benching four, five, six plates. He's he's doing kind of light weights. But if you think the style of training that he does is easy, give it a try. I've done it very, very briefly, and especially when I've been demonstrating it for someone else to show them how it's done or I've pointed to like I said earlier on now former IFBB pro and said watch how he gets the most out of an exercise not just genetically because he's suited to put muscle on but how he performs his exercise and how he has his feet in the right position and so on. Brian is an he exemplifies that but the 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 things that he's come back from in order to get his pro card in order to win the Indy pro and to finally appear on the Olympic stage, that's what made him interesting to us. That's what made him inspiring. And you can learn muscle memory, getting back on that horse, getting back in the gym, recovering, not letting shit fuck you up. Guys, again, life, divorces, injuries, if your kids get ill, fucking forest fires where you live, flooding, whatever, shit happens. And... It's fucking horrendous and you have to go out and deal with it. And whatever training then is nothing. It's inconsequential. Go away. Do those other things. Fix shit. Sort stuff out. Fix relationships. Rebuild your fucking home, whatever. And then get back in the gym like Brian did. He's had to overcome three different kinds of physical things just right there. And then back to where he is right now that's what made him inspiring and that's what made him interesting right as always please note we are not doctors and the opinion of this podcast are hours and hours alone it's our view and it is based on experience and views on the topic 
a podcast for informational purposes and entertainment of only the freedom of speech and the closing of the